Thank you for listening to this 18th episode of Raking Coals. Please be sure to check out e43collective.com where you can hear more episodes of the podcast or check out our other podcasts, The After Sunday Discussion, and some of our blog posts. That is e43collective.com. On this 18th episode, we talk about how to become a better reader of the Bible. This is something that I personally am very passionate about and something that I think is extremely important. I know that everybody approaches reading the Bible in a little bit of a different way, but we talk here about some things that I think are valuable for each and every person to know and have some basis of as they go into reading and studying the Bible. It's something I think that we can all do a little bit better of a job of with a little bit of knowledge and some good tools at our disposal. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Raking Coals. I am Cody Haggard, one of your hosts, and with me, as always, is the one and only Josh Fauzi. Hello, how are you? Uh, Josh, it's good to be back here, although we are, um, we're back to a two-man podcast, our last podcast, episode 17. We were so fortunate to have one of our friends, Zach Butler, come and join us talking about Chick-fil-A, and I really enjoyed that. Josh, what did you think? I loved it. It was a lot of fun. And we've got uh, we've got another guest joining us in uh, two weeks. Two more weeks, we will have uh, another guest joining us talking on raking coals, and I really look forward to that. And uh, today we are going to be talking about something that I think is really important, and and Josh Josh also thinks is really important. We are going to be looking at how to better read your Bible, how to become a better Bible reader. And we talked about this a little bit quite a few weeks ago where we talked about the importance of teaching. So that would have have been about eight or nine episodes ago where we talked about the importance of teaching. And we kind of hit a little bit of our own Bible study methods. But what we're going to be talking about is how to become a better Bible reader. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about our own Bible study methods, yes, and and probably just kind of giving a few uh, tips of advice for how to better read your Bible, how to study the Bible better, because there's just some stuff out there that we're, we're finding out that we as Americans are getting less and less biblically literate, meaning we don't really know much about the Bible, and we don't know as much as the generations before us probably did. So Josh, I'll start off by by kicking off the conversation with, on on a scale of of extremely proficient to extremely bad, how, how proficient do you think you are as, as a Bible reader? Like, do you think you're pretty proficient, extremely proficient, not proficient, illiterate? What do you think? I... I would like to say that I'm very proficient, but in all reality, I'm probably just at, like, proficient, like, above average. I mean... But you can crack open the Bible, you can read a passage of the Bible, and really kind of be able to to know what's going on and able to understand it. Wouldn't you say so? Yes. Yes, I can do that. And the reality is, is I remember when I would open the Bible and I would read it, and I would just be completely lost, completely lost, not really knowing what's going on. You, do you remember what it was like kind of be, be trying to read it as a kid or a teenager, not really knowing what's going on, not really knowing what, where to start? That was all of me in elementary school. <laughs> I went to a Baptist elementary school here in Northeast Ohio, and I mean, we had Bible from kindergarten to sixth grade before I went public. <laughs> and, um, it was just, it was one of those things where it's like you learned all the facts and you only read it for the facts and you never read it for like the meaning. And it was interesting because right. like, it's like, okay, well I know all these stories and all these things that happen, but I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> and the stories, knowing the stories and the facts isn't bad. Having those foundations isn't bad. Now, I remember distinctly, I went to a Christian high school, which you know, Josh, and I remember the first day that I had a Bible class. I remember the class was called the Book of Acts. Now, I knew a little bit about the Bible at this point. I had read it a little bit, but I was not extremely proficient. I was not like a Sunday school champion who went through and memorized the books of the Bible and knew all the songs and stuff like that. I was, I kind of came up in the 
in the seeker movement, in the emergent church movement. So it was like everything that was traditional in, and and pretty solid, in my opinion, was just kind of like thrown out the window for a season of time. And so I wasn't really exposed to that stuff uh, growing up. So I didn't have as solid of a foundation. And I remember walking into this class in ninth grade and I was brand new, coming right out of public schools, ninth grade into a Christian high school, and the teacher telling everybody to open up to the Book of Acts. And, it, and to me, it felt like something out of a movie, like all the students in perfect coordination pull their Bibles out of their backpacks, they lay them on the table, and they flip open, and you kind of hear that flipping of pages in unison, and they all open to the Book of Acts, and there's me like rummaging through the table of contents, being like, where is Acts? Is it in the New Testament? Is it in the Old Testament? What is an act? Or is this like a three-act play? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> See, that's what happens when you're not raised in the Baptist church. You got to do sword drills every morning. <laughs> no, I. It, it's funny, though, because you've described exactly what I've seen doing children's ministry and youth ministry for the past 10 years mm-hmm. i mean and it's it, it's interesting because i f- like i might be jumping the gun but i mean it's it's we live in a time where i mean not only do people not know what's in the bible but they don't know how to use their bibles and yeah and i think that like us talking about this i think is really important because Biblical literacy and biblical proficiency is something that, as a church, we kind of need to focus on. Yeah. And, and for me, I, I would consider myself to be a quite a proficient reader of the Bible. I've been Quite a proficient? You're a seminary student. You have to be proficient. <laughs> I've, been, I've spent a significant amount of time studying this book we call the Bible. And it's something that going through christian high school and bible college and seminary i have learned skills and i've learned things and i walk away from it thinking man this is stuff i really feel like everyone should be getting now there's certain stuff in an academic environment that isn't for everybody that's the truth but a lot of the basic skills of learning how to read the bible learning how to study the bible learning how to better understand the context learning how to better understand how to even have a hermeneutic most people don't even know what the word hermeneutics means but it is just a process of interpretation being able to read something understand its context understand its its historical and literary context syntactically be able to break it down which josh you told me that they're not even teaching sentence syntax in schools anymore not really i mean every like i i was talking to the elementary school kids that i'm working with they don't they're not doing the sentence diagrams as much, and, and you ask, like, they might do it for, like, a week. Where I remember that was, like, it felt like months. Yeah. <laughs> no one liked sentence diagramming. Even me, who's, like, but, a biblical languages student, sentence diagramming is still, like, really tough. It's just, yeah, but it's at the same serious. time, it's like, I can go in and I can read a sentence and understand what is the object, what is the action, what is the... I mean, yeah. I, I know what... I know how to read the sentence, the way the sentence was supposed to be read. Right. And And so, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off there. Were you still going? I I think the other thing too that like, so with, with the advent of the internet and it being just so integral to everybody's lives, especially when it comes to the generation Z um, and the, the, the 140 character tweet kind of format Something that I find lacking when people read, just read in general, is understanding what punctuation means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you've been there. We've we've sat in youth groups where we've asked kids to read, and it's just it's run on sentences the entire time, and it's all this one monotoned, even tempoed reading. Where it's like that's not like there's an exclamation point there. That's yeah. That's not supposed to be read like that. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, it's like I, Cody has heard me read the Bible and read passages. And I like to use the punctuation and the X, 
Like, if there's an exclamation point, I will say it in an exclaimed way because I find it adds value to the passage. Because yeah. then you actually understand, like, oh, this person was a little excited when he wrote this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and before we start kind of going in and, and sharing our various different things we've learned, I want to at least start off by saying a big reason why I wanted to have this conversation, Josh, was because there's a lot of people out there who are going to tell you what the Bible says, and they're going to tell you their interpretations of the Bible who are not Bible scholars. I see it happen all of the time on the radio, on podcasts, in books, and all of this, and it's this information that's said about the Bible that kind of it makes it sound extremely archaic, extremely unenlightened, that it was more a, a book of its time rather than inspired by God, which it's anyone who's a secular atheist, I don't expect them to view it as the inspired word of God. But at the same time, uh, a lot of times these people who are sharing these various different opinions and thoughts on the Bible really don't know how to study it. They've never taken the time to learn how to study it. And that, for someone who's not a Christian, is to be expected. And it's fine for people to share their opinions about it. But what I do say for Christians is you got to know how to study it. You have to know how to come to conclusions in God's word on your own. And when you are challenged by someone who is very smart in a particular field and very educated on a particular subject, and when they start talking about the Bible and making all these claims because they're smart and they're educated, you might think that they're extremely on base. But what you need to do is you need to take what they're talking about, look at what the Bible says, know how to study the Bible, know how to study it in its context, know how to find out what that context is, know good resources for the history, know stuff about the language. And, and it really is something that takes a little bit of work and so that we can properly come uh, to the right conclusions of the interpretation of Scripture on our own understanding and have confidence in our own faith and have confidence in God and so that's a big reason why I want to have this conversation, because as we have more voices in our ear, we have more things posted on the Internet. We're just going to hear more and more and more, which I think means that it's more, even more important for us to have a solid foundation on God's Word. Yeah, and it, it's sad because it almost seems like there's less and less of a foundation when it comes to the church as a whole. And, I mean... Like, there are things that are going on in the church that people are like, oh, yeah, it's fine. But when you read scripture, you're like, eh, I think you're really wading into the darker end of the grayscale gray if, if, if you're not already in the, in the like, deep end. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we kind of we looked at a Pew Research study that has kind of some, some very interesting statistics in general about, I mean, about scripture and Americans' approach towards scripture. Some things that I would consider to be good— and other things I would consider to be not so good from yeah. from my and, reading. You want to go through some of that well, stuff? The first thing I want to say is that it's it's a little bit of a, I mean, it's a five-year-old study. So the study came out in 2014. Right. So, I mean, what I've read about, like, recent studies, it's actually shown that it's gotten worse from the figures that we've, we've said. I know Barnard Group has something on it where it's like, uh, I think... So, so in 2014, I'll just read the big, the big bold things that they pointed out. So, in 2014, only a third of Americans said they read scripture at least once a week. Okay, and while 45% seldom or never read scripture. Um, two, three. Is scripture referring to all holy, all holy texts. Holy texts. Okay. Yes. So they kind of broke it down. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses read it the most at 88%, read yeah. at least once a week. Uh, Mormons are at 77%. Evangelical Protestants are at 63%. His Which, can I just say something about Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Mormons? I think that these are people who are extremely committed to their religion and what they believe. However, it is not what is in the Bible, what they hold to. But yet these are people who are extremely dedicated to it. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're going to be effective because they are trying very hard. Yeah. And this is something that what I would consider Orthodox Protestants need to be extremely aware of. Yes. So you have evangelical Protestants read it. 63% 63 read at least once a week. 
Um, historically, African-American Protestants, 61%. Muslims, 46%, which surprised me when I read that. Um, mainline Protestant, 30%. Orthodox Christian, 29%. Catholic, 25%. Jewish, 17%. And anybody who's unaffiliated, 9%. Yeah. Read at least once a week. And that's the percentages out of that 35%, right? So, yes. So that's that's a very interesting interesting yes. breakdown because out of the third of Americans who are reading scripture on a weekly basis, it is it is dominated by Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Mhm. So then the the second big point they point out is Three quarters of Christians say they believe the Bible is the word of God. Okay. Which I, okay. Which is really weird (laughs) based on something else we're going to look at in a couple of points. Christians who make up a majority of U.S. adults, 71%, are divided over how to interpret the Bible. While about four in 10 Christians say the Bible's text is the word of God and should be taken literally, 36% said it should not be interpreted literally or express another or no opinion. A separate 18% of Christians who view the Bible as a book written by men, not God. And that is a that is a thing that we really need to I think we kind of need to talk about this a little bit before before we move on because right. this has this has a big effect on how we can read the Bible better. So, first of all, 18% of Christians view the Bible as a book written by men, not by God. There is truth in that statement because the Bible was written by people, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we have— Inspired by God. Inspired by God, right? Inspired by the God, which 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 illustrates for us. Uh, I'm I'm trying to remember the the passage in 1 Peter where it said the writers of of Scripture were blown along by the Holy Spirit. This image of, of, uh, if you could think of like a ship in the sea— and that's the writer, and God is the wind blowing it along, right? Each 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 person has a part to play. And and so the Bible says that, yes, it is inspired, and in order to really get the most out of the Bible, having that foundation of it being inspired by God is true. But we do know that it is written by men. And, and for me, that's, that's, I think, that's an acceptable thing to... To, to understand, right, that the Bible's written by people, inspired by God. And and that's something, personally, I've never really wrestled with. You ever wrestled with that no. at all? I, I have not. Um, but at the same time, too, like, it's... The, uh, a, 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 I was listening to a pastor talk about this. Um, and I thought he put it very, very well, where we're, we're very quick to say, well, the Bible says... Right, yeah. The Bible says this. And, and I mean, looking at the statistic, like, a lot of people don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't. especially yeah. and, and especially if they're not a Christian. They don't right. believe the Bible is the Word of God. So when you say that the Bible says this, they go, well, why should I care? Because it's not inspired. It's, not, it's, it's written by people. And, um, and I think we have to remember that there were people behind the pen and that they were reading, they were not reading, they were writing what the Holy Spirit was prompting them. And they were writing about what God was showing them actively. And, and when you have a historically, um, I'm trying to think of the word right now. What is it? Someone who, like, history has shown is a real person who went through real things. Like, for a great example, the Apostle Paul. Okay? You good over there, Cody? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, and he's writing what the Holy Spirit is showing him and what he's learning through his ministry and what, what God is revealing to him and prompting him to write down to these churches. And when you go up to somebody and say, this, there was a guy back in the day named Paul. You can look him up. Okay, this is what he did. This is what we know he did. It's right. historical fact. Okay, and he went through all of this, and this is what he had to say about it because this is what God... Sh- and he said God showed him this. Yeah. And then he wrote it down. Right. And it no longer becomes the Bible says it. It's Paul says it. Yeah. And not only Paul, but 
here is a man that we can confirm lived the life that the Bible claims he lived. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it, and it adds a, it adds the authority to it. Yeah. Or at least the um, what is it? Um, the never mind. I I can't think of words right now. This is bad. Sorry. <laughs> In, inspiration, authority. You said authority. That's okay. It, it, it adds weight. Yeah, it, it adds weight to it. And and the thing that's interesting to me is of the seventy one percent who are divided on how to interpret the Bible. It's just it's shocking to me that there is such a a difference in approach, right? That there are about half of the seventy one percent who say you read it literally, and then another half who say that it, it doesn't really have much use in literal meaning. Now, our approach to the Bible, my approach to the Bible, is to read it literally first. And there are there are really no areas in the Bible where a literal reading is going to get you into this totally heretical position or anything like that. Reading the Bible literally, reading it within its historical context is extremely, extremely important. And I think that's another thing where, where what we do when we tell someone to read the Bible, we kind of tell them to sit down, pick a book in Scripture, read through it, read through it from beginning to end. Don't use any commentaries and stuff like that. And I agree with that to a point. But I do think that there is such a gap and such a lack of knowledge on the actual context of most Scripture that I think people can really be assisted by a commentary or at least something that paints the historical context of what they're reading. The fact that the first five books of the Bible are written by Moses is, I think, very important for someone to understand if they're going to start reading Genesis to understand that this is written by Moses at the time after uh, Israel has been uh, has gone through the Exodus. They've left Egypt. It was written by Moses. The And understanding the special relationship that Moses had with God, just foundational things that I think we take for granted, those of us who've studied the Bible for a long time. And I think it helps us to understand the actual historical and literary context of things because in reality, another battle we're facing is that for so much in our society, in our world, context is is something that is almost just totally ignored. We live in a time where Twitter and the news cycle are very hand-in-hand, hand, right? The getting the picture of something in 140 characters or less. And that's really hard to paint a proper image of context in a small bit of information. That's why we have so much trouble in, in the news, right? Like so, so many news stories, if you read them within their full context, they have a much different meaning than when you read the tweet about it. And that's the same thing with the Bible. When you hear small snippets here and there said by people, they could be totally taken out of context. People could be a faithful Christian totally taking out of context and wanting to be uh, doing some good by it, but in reality, they could be taking it out of context and sharing a bad idea, and, and that happens. And, and the other thing can happen as well is that you could share something out of context, and and it and it's wrong. So... So I think that's a, a big thing to remember and a big thing that's important is that you read it literally. And the reason why reading it literally is so important is because it was written by a person mm -hmm. at a historical period of time for a specific audience, for a specific purpose. And those are things when we sit down and we read the Bible, most of the time we're reading the Bible for devotional or anecdotal purposes. And we kind of forget like this was originally written at a specific time to serve a specific purpose purpose for a specific group of people and, and i think that when we read the bible at least if we have those foundational things going in it'll make a big difference in the interpretation that we get out of it the application we get out of it and our understanding of it in general so that's kind of my little bit well i there. think i think it's important that i mean you brought it up it's context is important it meant when when it was originally written and originally delivered to the people it was written to it meant something to them in context and i a lot of times it's so easy to try to 
take scripture and then form it to the context that we're living in now. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't translate well in some cases. It does. Okay. Like, okay. When, when, when Jesus is talking about sowing seeds, okay. On different things of dirt, right? Like it meant something to them. That's different to us because they were an agrarian society and like, you would never throw seeds on thorny soil or you would right. never throw seeds over here on heart. Of course that's going to happen. Right. Okay. And like for us, it's like, well, this is what it means for us. Okay. And it's like, it, and I, you see what, like, do you kind of get where I'm getting to? It's yeah. like, like you have to bridge that time, like the gap in time and kind of go back to where they were back then. And what did it mean to them? And yeah. then and then take that meaning and then apply it here. Yeah. Here and now. So what, I, what do you think are good things for for someone? Because I kind of have I have my my take on it. But what do you think are good things for someone who's saying, OK, I want to get better at reading the Bible. And you guys are talking a lot about context. How can I make sure I'm reading the Bible within its proper context? What are some things you would suggest off the cuff? Um. So there's a couple commentaries that I really like that yeah. explain context. Um, a lot of like a lot of study Bibles, yeah, actually do a really good job of giving you background mm-hmm. in the beginning. Um, and there's so many resources, yeah, that you can just go and just look up. Um, I'm, I'm thinking like Bible Gateway, and yeah. I'm, I'm trying to remember the other. There's another website I can't remember off the top of my head. But there's 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 a lot of resources that you can go to and you can kind of look at just like, OK, <coughs> tell me about Galatia back when Paul wrote it. Yeah. And I know for me, when I was in high school, it was the study Bible that your family actually got me. Which, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that was a great resource. Um, like going to do a total unbiased plug right now but the moody commentary yes yeah I'm, is, I, I think the moody bible commentary is great it's yeah. it's phenomenal uh the bible knowledge commentaries do a very good job yeah. um and they do a really good job too of explaining what like key greek words greek and hebrew words yeah. actually mean and, and like you could have no familiarity with reading a commentary before read these and and they're very much yes. written towards someone who is just wanting to start Right, scratching the edge. Yes, and then you could go to like Bible dictionaries and just just look up history of of places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but just beware of the internet because when it comes to Christianity, there's just all sorts of things out there, and and like Josh mentioned, the Moody Bible Commentary. It's a great commentary. It has stuff from every book of the Bible in there. It's a large book. And it has a lot of good information on there. And it's not information overload, which is nice. And the reason I really like that one and the Bible knowledge commentaries is because they're affordable. They're affordable, You can get into like the, I know, do you have a copy of any of these commentaries that it's like each book of the Bible has an entire book by itself and each book is like 20, 30 I got a a 1,200 page book on Romans. Isn't Romans like, what? 80 pages in the Bible or something. It's not very long, but no. Douglas Moo's commentary on Romans is just fantastic. It's mm-hmm. great. His work on it is amazing. But but that's not, you know, that's yeah. not necessarily right. a, a starting point. Right. I know. <laughs> I know. But it's just like, like those are really good commentaries that are extremely trustworthy at very low price points. Yeah. And, and I think what you need to do is you really need to be reading the Bible and getting its literary context. So really do read through a few chapters at a time. See what what you are able to learn and, and kind of derive some of the questions that you have and then maybe go back and look at a commentary. Yeah. Allow allow yourself to grow in skill because because the more you lean on a commentary, I don't know if you're going to see your Bible reading skills and Bible studying skills get much better. You kind of do have to push yourself. And there's some other things I'll suggest as we go on. But yes, Moody think- Bible Commentary is good. One more resource I will say, and then Josh, I'll let you chime in here, uh, is another solid res- uh, resource I think is is very good 
is the uh, Holman Bible uh, uh, Dictionary. The Holman Bible Dictionary is is very good because uh, it has topical things in there. It has uh, a lot of background in there, so you get a whole background on like the Book of James or the Book of Romans or the Book of Joshua, as well as you can look up things like Levites. Like you see the word Levite a ton in the Bible, and you can look it up and and be like, okay, so this is this is a section of priests and and set up at this specific era after the Exodus and, and kind of learn in that way, and I think that's a very useful thing. All right, go yeah. ahead, Josh. I'm sorry. I, and, and commentaries and dictionaries are great, but the biggest thing that can help you when it comes to biblical literacy is reading the Bible. <laughs> reading the Bible, yes, absolutely. And, and understanding what the Bible says, I also think something that can be very helpful is I find, especially with the Old Testament, it can be helpful to read the Bible in chronological order if you haven't before. Because the reality is is that Genesis through um, Malachi in the Old Testament, that's actually not that's not chronological order. If you right. went from Genesis to Malachi, that's actually not the chronological historical order that things happened. And so I would suggest looking at a chronological timeline. I know that the ESV publishes one. Uh, they even have like a chronological reading order of the Bible that you can follow and they break it down for like reading the Bible in a year. And I do think that that can be helpful because then you kind of see the unfolding of of history as well as you're, you're seeing God's work through history. And, and I think that that will help you have a better understanding of, of scripture as well. Now, here's a question I have for you, Cody. So how, how do you build biblical literacy and train biblical literacy with kids? That's a good question. I think for us, what we've done at home with our kids is take advantage of take advantage of the major holidays first because kids will remember Easter, they'll remember Christmas, and those are really easy things that you can teach your kid foundational faith-based truths through the holy days. In Christmas, you have the birth of Jesus. Easter, you have the resurrection of Jesus. Good Friday, you have the cross. You have salvation. You have these foundational theological truths. And I do think that the best way to teach kids, especially, is to tell them the stories. And this is where I will say that as a parent, you have to know these stories. You have to. You can sit down and you can read a children's Bible to your kids, and that is fine, and that's good, and I think there's a lot of good children's Bibles out there. But the thing I find that my kids enjoy the most is when they sit in bed at night and I just tell them the story. I internalize scripture. I learn scripture. I learn the stories, and I make the Bible come alive to them, and to them, it's just as exciting as if I were to read them the Chronicles of Narnia as they're going to sleep, or because I make the Bible come alive to them. I, 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 I study it. I know how to explain the building of the ark per se in a way that visualizes it for a child versus just reading them what is listed out in Genesis chapter six or seven, whichever chapter that is. And, and so learning the Bible well and learning it is, is the best thing you can do and being able to teach your kids in, in a way that comes from your own internalized study I think just sharing with them. And also, I, you know, I'm not at this point yet, but we work with students. We work with teenagers. I mean, the more you can study, the more you can know as a parent. Your kids will ask you questions. They will. We've experienced this with youth group, with teenagers. They're going to ask you questions. And they're going to ask you questions probably when you least expect it. And I think that that's the best way to teach kids is to teach them the stories. Teach them what those stories mean. What does it teach us about God? What does it teach us about Christianity? and why they're important and, and teaching those themes and those theological truths through stories because the kids will remember the stories and then when they begin when they get a little older i think they'll be ready for the didactic letter-based stuff of the new testament and and that's kind of my my approach is mm -hmm. is really familiarizing them with what happened why it's important and then once your kids learn how to read too i think you begin reading the bible with them and teaching them how to read the Bible. And that's what I would okay. say. 
Okay, because that was my next question. Is like, where do you go from the children's Bible to the actual Bible, or like an easy readers, yeah, ed- yeah, edition of the Bible? <clears throat> yeah, I definitely would say that once your kids are past the children's Bible and ready for a full-on edition of the Bible, I think the New Living Translation does a good job. New Living Translation does a good job of making it understandable. It is based off of the original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew. And I think it's a solid, solid Bible. I like reading the New Living Translation, especially for the narratives, because they do a very good job in that. And then it, when you're getting to the, the stage of where you're wanting to study the Bible really in depth, you're looking at probably wanting to get an ESV, an NASB, a CSB. Those are what I recommend the most for Bible study. It, because they they are probably a little closer to a word for word of the Greek text than the NLT for sure, and in the NIV as well. So yeah, that's good. What I would say. Okay, because uh, I mean, it's it's interesting because, like, like okay, when when do you expect a child to know, let's say, the Gospels? Know the Gospels like, like know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, like the na- like the names of the Gospels and the order. I would say, I would say around in between the ages of eight and ten, that's acceptable because okay. when we think about it, my kids can sit down and they can recognize and name every every superhero right they could mm-hmm. look at a superhero they could recognize it they can name it and they can visualize it they can see it because they're exposed to those superheroes a lot right they love to watch the tv shows they love to play with the toys and i think that it's kind of the similar thing when it comes to to the bible the more that we teach our kids the more we expose them the more we love it they will love it as well and so I think it's totally acceptable for a child to know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at a pretty young age because they're only four books in the Bible. And, I, you know, they have to know how to navigate a book and all of that stuff. But in reality, you know, a, a kid can read a chapter book at those ages and they can definitely navigate the Bible and they know how to read the table of contents and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, because... It- it I know for me it gets kind of frustrating when you're at least with middle school high school kids and you tell them like open your Bibles to First Corinthians mm-hmm. and they don't know where it is right and these are kids that have grown up in the church their entire lives and they've done every like they've gone through children's ministry they've gone through middle school, like junior high youth group and they're in senior high and now it's like. It's like okay, we're like open up to Ephesians. Which which testament is that in? Yeah, and it and it's like, I mean, it, it kind of is just evidence that they're not in their Bibles, right? But at the same time, it's like, are we doing a good enough job teaching them how to use their Bibles? Yeah, I really don't know. And and the truth is, is that I think every kid begins to care about it at a different stage of life. I know for me, I started to really care about it around the age of 16. Mm-hmm. And that's where I will also say this is my big thing, Josh. I know I've told this to you before. I don't think I've said it on the podcast. If I have, I'm sorry. But this is a big thing for me when it comes to studying the Bible. We learn skills all of our developmental life. We learn how to write. We learn how to read. We learn mathematics. We learn one plus one is two. We learn all sorts of things. We learn how to structure a paper. We learn that there's a certain format for an essay. There is an introductory paragraph. There's a body. There's a conclusion. All these things we learn, they're all skills we have to learn. We learn the theory, and then we practice, 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 practice them. As students in the education system, the reason that there is homework is because it is practice. The thing that we don't do within studying the Bible, within Christianity, is we don't practice it. We don't actually sit down and practice becoming a better student of the Word. Most people, if I were to ask, what does it mean to follow the HBLT method of teaching the Bible? Most people wouldn't know what that means. And that is also where most of us have to get to a point of interpret, read, interpret, apply, right? We have to get to that point. 
But there's certain skills, right? Observations, interpretations, applications. All these things are words that people all know what they are, but the reality is, is do we know how to observe? Do we know that there's a certain... Um, thing going on within our brains that we need to pay attention to certain words and then we need to come to a proper interpretation through keeping the text within its literary context and historical context and then we from there once we have an a a proper interpretation we come up with like a theological principle where we're able to summarize what we just studied in a sentence or two and then from there that's where we apply it to our lives how is this going to change us and so that is something I've spent many years doing. And now I'm to the point where I can open the Bible, I can read the Bible, and start allowing my brain to do some of these things without having to write it down or circle a bunch of things or do all these different things. But when I was in college, I had to like underline certain things and circle certain things and triangulate certain things. And it was a skill, and it was a practice, and it was tedious, and it was a lot of time. But practicing that got me to a position to where now I can read the Bible. I'm confident in reading the Bible. I'm confident in the fact that I can walk away with a proper interpretation of God's Word and understanding of God's Word. And so that's where I think we as as Christians really need to be is saying, hey, this matters, and I need to develop this skill, and it, we need to do it as adults. We need to do it as kids. And I think if a kid is old enough to write a term paper for high school, they're old enough to develop these Bible study skills. It's not rocket science. It's just practice. And that's kind of my my perspective on it, is, is I, I think we spend so much time trying to make youth group and children's ministry a party at church and not enough time saying, hey, there's certain skills that go into this, and this will make you a stronger Christian for it. You might not necessarily value it now, but we have to try and find a way to make it engaging and interesting in really making young people students of the word and not just students who go on youth retreats and sing silly songs and light their hair on fire and do all this crazy stuff. Because I think memories and the fun are great. They're good things. But if there's not a skill and confidence in their faith that comes along with that, I think then we are doing something of an injustice to young people. And, and that's where me as a youth pastor, I feel convicted because I want to do a better job at that. I know that there's not much interest in that. And and so how do you get the interest? How do you do that? But the thing is, is that we're seeing a time where people are extremely biblically illiterate. People don't even know how to approach reading the Bible. And they're developing all sorts of opinions and understandings of it without having really any practice reading it. And so it's a little frustrating but I do think it is totally, totally possible for a young person to be able to develop those skills. Yeah, and it it's scary, though, because, like, regardless of whether or not you're in youth ministry, right, you, as Christians, we're supposed to be working on di- discipling the next generation. Because the thing is, is that there's a group of church leaders right now our generation, me and Cody's generation, we're probably going to be the we're we're the next group that's coming up, and the kids who are coming after us are the group kids who are going to lead the church after us. Right. And I know from my experiences, I'm a little worried, and I'm just going to be completely blunt. I don't think. Okay, I know there are a lot of young people who are in youth ministry or youth group right now who are solid. They know how to use their Bibles. They know how to read their Bibles. They know what the Bible says. Yeah. But the majority don't. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I don't know if it's just being naive of myself and our generation when we were that young, but I felt like, I felt like our group kind of cared a little bit more about reading it. I don't know. Yeah. And I think too, it also depends on the sense of community that a group has So the stronger a group is one another and the more they like to collect, the more they will study the word together and it will get people in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big thing too that just goes through seasons in churches. Sometimes you have seasons where groups are really solid and sometimes you have seasons where they're not. And I, I don't know if we're in a time where groups in general in churches are not as valued as they were 10 years ago or if... It's just something specific to our region of the country. But I, I do think that that is one element of, uh, of 
of something is that our culture, as time goes by, just gets more individualized with the um, growth of, of social media and the growth of uh, how, how much stuff we do electronically. I mean, for me personally, I love the fact that I don't have to go out and do a bunch of stuff now. And so, and so you know, we, we isolate ourselves even more. Mm-hmm. But but I do think that I, I see a general lack of, of interest. I think youth group size around the nation is going down, at least from my perspective. I've lived in four different states over the last a few years, and it just seems like as time goes by, no matter where you're at, young people involved in church is just getting less and less. And so, yeah, I do, I do think there is a little bit of, you know, lack of interest that that's gone on and I think a lot of that has to do with how parents disciple children as well is do the parents know how to disciple children are they trying and there's this this also the the like the anti-indoctrination type of stuff like well I don't necessarily want to force it on my kid they have to make their choice and it's like you know you're not forcing it on your kid but you are the parent and and you make the rules of the household. And if you're going to live your life as a Christian, you're going to tell your children, we do this because we believe in God. And and if you can show your love for God, I believe your children will, will see that you legitimately love God and see that you legitimately love them, and, and it'll have an effect. But, but yeah, I do think there's so many aspects uh, of what it is, but I, I feel the same way you do. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's a definite conclusion, of that there is a lack of interest from the next generation, but sometimes it just feels that way strongly. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's also a lot of ignorance, and, and the truth is we were all we're all ignorant at, at when we're young, and, right. and even as if we take the illustration even further, when we're young Christians as well, we're super ignorant, mm-hmm. and you just learn the more that you grow, the more that you learn, right? And but how many people are really interested in in growth is what i'm asking and you know we have the statistics here too that are telling us that for what is this here four in ten christians said reading the bible or other religious materials is an essential part of what being christian means to them personally to me that's kind of disturbing that only four out of ten think reading scripture is an essential part of following Jesus and being a Christian. And 37% saying that they don't think it's necessary at all is pretty staggering. But um, I have my views on that, but I'm going to hold off on saying something. Yeah. I I mean, well, I'll hold off on that. Oh, he's holding off. He's holding (laughs) out on us, guys. We'll get him next time. Maybe. I... it, it, it's it's a complete tangent, so I don't want to okay. get into that. So, but I, I think it's important too because it, it we know all the statistics about that. I mean, you hear seventy one percent of Americans claim that they're Christians, but what is it like forty percent go to church once a month? Yeah, I think is about the, what it is right now. Yeah, um, and then you you read what is it? Of the of of thirty five percent less less than thirty five percent of Americans read the scriptures once a week, and it and it's we like labels. Yeah. We're a society of labels. We like to be. I mean, as much as people say, I don't like labels. I don't like being labeled. We all have labels. We all as- ascribe to labels. Yeah. Um. And. A lot, a lot of times, I feel like those labels are just self-imposed to be part of a group and to be to feel accepted. And, I mean, there's a lot of, and this is, I know from my experience in youth ministry, there are a lot of children that I've dealt with and I've worked with who they say they're a Christian, they go to church because. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Do they believe it? The fruit would say otherwise. Yeah. And and I think sometimes, too, when it comes to teenagers, their fruit in life is going to definitely show their own lack of maturity. Right. 
which you know I extend. But a lot there of are a lot of to. adults too. There's a lot of adults <laughs> who do it. With adults, I'm a little bit less uh, graceful. Grace, <laughs> graceful <laughs> because because it's like okay, you you know what's what's really going on here, and and the truth is, I think that part of part of this does have to do with people don't know how to study the Bible and they're just not doing it in, in their own time. You know, they're not taking the time to read it. And so the question that we kind of explore here is, right, how to read your Bible better. And we've answered some stuff in that regards. But here's here's just a few things I'll throw out is that first thing you really need to do, you got to spend time reading it. Get on a good reading plan. I would suggest reading the Bible in chronological order or even starting in the New Testament and reading the New Testament in chronological order. Getting yourself a solid commentary that can at least help you with the historical, cultural context of the Bible. Also, ask yourself the question, do you know that the Bible wasn't originally written in English? I'm sure most people know that, but what languages was it written in, right? The Old Testament's in Hebrew. The New Testament is in Greek. For the most part, we have people who've given their whole entire lives over to translating the Bible into vernacular languages. And I don't want to say that things are lost in translation, but I will say that certain words have different weight in English than they do in Greek or Hebrew. And so having a commentary can help you to understand those things. And and that's where I think it can be helpful. So start by reading, get yourself a solid commentary, and take some time. You don't have to do it every day. You don't have to do this every day. But take some time to take some notes. Take some notes. Write down some observations. Write down what you think that the passage means and compare it to what, what you're reading in com- a commentary. Someone mm-hmm. who's like a solid biblical scholar who knows what they're talking about. Take some notes. Start, start taking notes. You will see yourself get better at this thing of studying the Bible. You'll be less lost. You will see a skill begin to develop. And take the time to do it. I think it'll be one of the most valuable things you do in your life. And I do think there is value in just sitting down and reading scripture, not necessarily taking notes or commentary, any of that type of stuff. I think there's high value in that. And reading in different ways, like reading a chapter, then reading, what, four or five (sighs) chapters, ignoring the verses and the subtitles. Right. I mean, like it's, or reading, reading the entire book straight through. Yeah. Just like you would read an email. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, and it's, it's funny how, like, doing that kind of shows you like the broader context. Oh yeah, shows you what the what the what the writer actually was trying the message that the writer was trying to get through. Yeah, because we get very stuck on. Well, I'm going to read thirty verses. Well, thirty verses cuts off in the middle of a thought, and you never get it until the next day, and then you might forget what the context is. Yeah, I, I know one thing for me. A book I can never, I can never just read a portion of, is, and I'll challenge anyone listening to this podcast to do this. The book of Galatians is only six chapters, and it means something very different when you pick and pull it out of context than when you read it from beginning to end. Because when you read Galatians from beginning to end, you start off from the very beginning, seeing, oh, Paul is pretty upset. Why is he upset? Oh, he's upset because the people in Galatia are teaching something that isn't based on what Jesus wanted them to teach, right? That circumcision was necessary for the Gentiles. We find out that Paul says, well, that's not really true. Uh, it is it is about faith. Faith is the, the foundation. And he goes through and he gives this explanation as to the the new the new covenant, what is different, why it is important. And so you get this big picture and you really understand Galatians a lot better when you read it from beginning to end in one sitting. And so it's a great example uh, right there, Josh. And you can read Galatians in 15 minutes, <laughs> maybe 20 tops. That's the thing that, like, growing up, never realized how quick you could read through most of the New Testament. Oh, yeah. Um, and it wasn't until it was, what was it, my it was between my eighth grade and my freshman year of high, like eighth grade, and then going into high school, we did a camping trip up to Canada as a church. Uh, 
there was only like 13 of us that went up, but it was a week long. And for one day, the way it worked was Algonquin, Canada, no cell reception. We were around this huge lake and they, they drop us off in just secluded areas. You have like nobody around you and you get your, your Bible <laughs> and maybe some TP. <laughs> And it was only it was supposed it was eight and a half hours of complete seclusion mm-hmm. in nature with your Bible, and it was just a time of reading and praying. And I just remember the first time I was there, I was just like, "Well, I'm just gonna read the New Testament and see how far I can get in." Yeah, maybe like two, three hours into it, with like a couple breaks in between, like I was done. I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> Man, that you're was, a pretty fast reader. What? You're a pretty fast reader. Two or three hours? It was... I mean, you got to remember, too, no distractions. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing to, like... I mean, the one distraction I had was maybe the chipmunk that ran by. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you like, it, it's just funny because it kind of puts it in perspective. It's like, whole year to read the entire Bible. You could probably sit and read the entire Bible in, what, two days at a decent pace. Two, three days. Uh, I don't know. If you I've, gave it the entire day. I've looked at it before. So for a, if you're an average reader, it means you probably read at the same pace that you would read out loud. If you're an average reader at a reading out loud pace, I've looked this up before. Audio Bibles range in between somewhere, some of the faster ones are 78 hours and 82 hours. Really? So an average reading speed of the Bible from beginning to end, this is of an audio Bible, so it's going to be even slower. So at a very slow pace, you're looking at 78 to 82 hours at a very slow pace. And I, I think that you could read the Bible. If you read an hour every day, you could read the entire Bible in a month, maybe a little more. That's that's still pretty quick compared that's to... That's pretty quick. It's a big, it's a thick book. But in reality, it's just something that we just don't make time for. Right. If you replaced... If you replaced a television show with reading the Bible, say you watched one television show every day, an hour-long television show, which I'm sure a majority of people, based on what we know about entertainment taken in in this country, a majority of people are watching at least an hour of television a day, whether it's streaming, whether it's on TV, whatever. majority of people are. I am at a point in life where, unfortunately, I cannot. <laughs> I would love to watch watch something more often, but it's it's if you replace that with reading the Bible, you get through it pretty quick. I, I just, I mean, I I'm thinking. Okay, my sister says I'm a quick reader, so maybe that's just you're probably my a fast thought. reader. If you read the whole New Testament in two three hours, that's pretty quick. But I mean, you think. Was it the longest chapter in the New Testament is what sixty something verses? Uh, I'm uh, I'm not sure. That would probably be somewhere in Acts. It's either Acts or one of the Gospels. That was one of the Gospels. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but right. but I mean, you think that's not that long? I mean, if you think about it, it's not that long. Right. So, uh, so, I here, mean, so here in my Bible, we got the New Testament starting in page 899. And then we've got it wrapping things up in Revelation in, on page 1167. So, so you're looking at, what is that, like 268 pages? It's like a Narnia book, and so it's 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 relatively small font. So right. so you're looking at a decent amount of time in the New Testament, but still though, you're looking. It's, it's doable to read it in a day. You're looking at quick. less than at a slow reading pace. You're looking at less than ten hours. Yeah. Which still though, when you think when you say ten hours, it sounds like a whole ton of time. That's a lot of time, but. One of the things that Apple has started to do is started to give me screen time reports every week on my phone. And I'm like, there's no way I'm spending that much time on my screen. There's no way. I don't, I don't <laughs> look at my phone that much. But the thing is, is that they have, my cell phone has no reason to lie to me about, no. about the screen time. And I, I see it now every time I open my phone. I see the screen time clock start going up. And right now I have been on a successful trend 
of my screen time going down week over week for the last few Where weeks. Where are you at? I can't share. I, I, I it's might embarrassing. be embarrassing. Uh, but I know, I know it's a lot more than I want it to be. Uh, let's see. I, I'll, I'm at... Uh, oh, man. I'm, I'm at a decent amount. A decent amount <laughs> of time. Uh, but, yeah. Averaging, averaging quite a bit a day. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, this is embarrassing. I'm looking at mine because I didn't realize. Yeah. Wow, I spent that much time. Oh my goodness. That's, yeah, that's and it breaks it down by app. If you guys really want, <laughs> if you guys really want to kick in the face, look at how much time you're spending on your screen. Your phone will tell you. And I actually think it's a really healthy thing. And I, I, we, are to- we are totally off topic here at this point, but I think also a little on topic, right? Because I think one of the biggest preventers of helping us become better at reading the Bible or better at developing skills in general is we just get sucked into the phone world. We get sucked into our phones. We get sucked into these devices, and they have changed us so much. I'm trying to... Josh is just so shocked over Can you go back further than what... than a week? You might be able to. I don't know. It only lets me see the last seven days. I'm wondering, who the heck am I texting? Because this is in the past week, I've had 444 notifications from messages. Interesting. I don't. Okay, yeah, I do probably text that much. Yeah, I, I'm. That's that's not too bad though. I only have gotten 53 emails though. <laughs> so hold, hold on here. Do Sorry. you have any? Do you have any final final closing thoughts? As we we really hopefully this podcast was helpful. I think we put some stuff out there that could be helpful. It was kind of all over the place. It was a little so bit all over the place. So hopefully you guys can organize the mess a little bit here. Uh, please give us some feedback uh, on what you all thought. But, but yeah, I, I, do you have any closing thoughts? We're, we're uh, about an hour here, so we'll get wrapping up. Um, I think if you are serious about doing – what Christ commanded us to do when it comes to sharing the gospel and, and teaching and discipling others, you have to know what the foundation is. Yeah. You have to know what, what the, what the, what the people who were there in the beginning, so to speak. Yeah. What they left for us. And you have to go back and you have to read it. Yeah. And, I think one of the things that has helped me the most, and this this will be my last thought on it, is when you remember that it's not just a story and it's not just something that someone made because they wanted to make it. Right. It changes how you look at it. And you have to remember there are people who sat and they wrote it because this is this was life and death for them. Yeah. And this was this was a truth that they they had to get out there. And when you know that, when you're reading it, it just completely adds weight to what you're reading. Yeah, amen to that. And, and I think, too, the better we grasp that, right, that context, what things mean in the Bible, the, the actual historical setting of it, then as we read the Bible, because the Bible wasn't written like how a novel is written today. A novel is really written with the focus of keeping your attention and entertaining you and engaging you. The Bible was written to just carry on the basics of these stories that happened or this message written by Paul or one of the other uh, epistle writers. And it's very concise. And I think it's very concise intentionally because people had to write it down with their hands, right? We did, they didn't have typewriters back then. So, so you know, I think there's an intentionality to the conciseness of Scripture. But the better we understand it, the better we understand that context, that history, we can then begin to imagine it better. And then when we imagine it and we can see it in our mind's eye, and then we make that connection, this really happened. The Bible has a power and a weight then that is so much stronger. And and I think everyone who gets themselves to that point will just love reading the Bible. And then when you start to love reading the Bible, you're going to find that you're going to love teaching the Bible. I guarantee you that's the next step. But let's get to being better readers of it first. 
And so that's my final closing thoughts. Josh, you kind of leaned in here for a second. You got something else to say? Okay. So, guys, just want to thank you all for listening, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to listening to Ray King Cole's episode 18. It was really fun to get together and record this particular episode. something I'm extremely passionate about, something I highly care about is helping people read the Bible better, challenging people to get better at it. And I uh, just want to thank you all for listening. Please be sure to head over to e43collective.com where you can see our other podcasts, our other episodes. You can check out the After Sunday discussion. You can see some of our blog posts, which we need to get better at. We need to get mm-hmm. we need to get more stuff up for. And just thank you all for your support up to this point. Please comment and let us know what you think. Head over to Facebook. Follow us over there. Join in on the conversation. Post some stuff. Let us know what you think about the, the podcast to this point. Also, uh, lastly, just just want to remind you all that we did have special guests on our last podcast. Zach Butler came. He talked about Chick-fil-A. If you haven't listened to that yet, please go back and listen to it. It's fantastic. Zach did a great job. Uh, he's got a wonderful story. And uh, we're going to continue to get guests on here. And we're going to continue to get people sharing their stories. And when we don't have guests, we're going to continue to talk about things that we think will help any Christian. Uh, anybody who's exploring Christianity, anyone who is a Christian, we're going to continue to talk about the things we think are important. And so we hope that you all have a fantastic week and a blessed day. Bye-bye.